Thank you, everybody, for waiting and worshiping this morning. Thank you again for your presence here. We're getting ready for the grand event. You can see here on the screens, you're wondering, what is the grand event? What is going to be taking place? It's not necessarily something that is going on here by itself. It's something that's taking place, hopefully, in the lives of all disciples. See, the grand event is God's great expectation. It's God's great expectation for your life that you will be transformed into the image of Jesus Christ. That's the plan. That's the goal. That's what everything is moving toward as you and I are following in the footsteps of Jesus. And so what we've been doing over the last few weeks, we've been going through um, a little bit of section in the book of 2 Peter. It's in your New Testament, so I encourage you to go ahead and open up there in your Bibles, pull out your phone, whatever you need to do to uh, find 2 Peter chapter 1. And we're going to focus in there around verses 3, 4, and 5 or so. Because God has given us everything we need for life and for godliness. And that is going to be a great, a great thing. So here's what we found out. If you're just joining us, if you've been traveling, if you've been in and out, let me catch you up just for a minute. Here's what we determined as we've been going through this study. Discipleship is an active process. It's not something that is passive. It's not something that just happens to you. It's not something that just one day you wake up and you've been zapped by God and now you are a disciple and you have purpose and you have focus and now you're walking differently and talking differently and your whole outlook on life is changed. It doesn't happen that way. It is something that you and that I have to be actively involved in as we ourselves are walking in the footsteps of Jesus. And our goal is... Our goal is that we will be even more active in following after Jesus than we are active in following after our sports teams and following after our political groups. Can I get an amen on that one? Wow. We want to be active in following after Jesus Christ because we want to be more like Jesus Christ. We want to be like our Savior. We want to have his peace. We want to be able to forgive we want to be able to have the relationship with God that Jesus knew. We want some kind of part of that. We want to be able to reach out and touch it. And so we follow in his footsteps, actively going where it is that he guides. And the good news is we're not in this by ourselves. Because discipleship is communal. It's a communal activity. It's not something that's just solitary where we go off on our own and, and we try to follow after Jesus just by ourselves. And No, we have opportunities just like this to come together and to, to worship and to be encouraged. And I hope you know that the people that are around you, I hope they're being encouraged by you and I hope that, that you are being encouraged by them. The worst thing to do is to come to a, an assembly like this and have no relationship with the people who are here. To have no interaction, to have no encouragement to be given. That's not what we're going for. Did you know that each month over 900 people come through a worship service that we have here on Sunday morning? Each month we have over 900 people that participate in that. Each month we have over 700 individuals who participate in one of our Bible studies that go on here also. That's why we list the different opportunities that we have to get together on the back of our glory, praise, and honor. That's why we're encouraging you to be a part of one of our EB groups that we have here so that disciples can be together and grow together because it's not a, a solitary experience. It's a communal experience because you need the people that are behind you and in front of you and around you, and they need you in their walk with God. But we talk about this idea of discipleship, and let's just be honest, we blow it. 
We don't do a very good job of looking like Jesus. We don't do a very good job of talking like Jesus. We do not do a very good job of being Christ in this world. And so because of that, oftentimes we just think, you know what, it's not for me. It's not for me. But something we found out in our study is that in order to be a disciple, you first got to believe that you can be one. You got to believe it. You got to believe that discipleship is possible before you can actually live it. You got to believe that if Jesus calls you to follow him, that you can actually follow him. And he says you can turn the other cheek. And you know what? You can do that in the workplace. He says you can forgive. And you realize I can do that within my family. He says, you can put away your addictions. You can overcome your temptations. You can have a different future than where your past has been. And you say, you know what? I think I really can. Because if Jesus has called me to follow him, he truly believes that I can follow him. It's a great thing about discipleship. It's the grand event that's going on in our life. And so we come to 2 Peter chapter 1 and we find out that we have been given everything that we need for godliness. And last week we found out that here's the deal. You add to your faith. You add to your faith and we looked at this idea of adding goodness to our faith. And remember we said it's not good works. It's not this idea that what you need to add to your faith is just going around and doing good things. Because we said even bad people can do good things, right? But what God is looking for in the life of a disciple is someone who is good from the inside out. It's not just those outer things that you see, but there is an inner goodness that's present there. So Peter says it all starts with faith. It all starts with believing that you can actually follow where Jesus leads. And then you realize, you know what? I am not good without God. And so you add to your faith goodness. And this week we're going to move on and we're going to, we're going to look at this idea that Peter has where he says, I want you to add to your faith knowledge. Knowledge. Now, for some of you, you are already checking out because that sounds way too much like school. That sounds way too much like school. It's fall break. It's like, why in the world are we talking about knowledge here? For others of you, you just set up on the edge of your seat. You're like, oh boy, knowledge. Here we go. We're going to study something. We're going to talk about Greek. We might use a little Hebrew. There might be a word I can use to impress my friends on Facebook. Some of you got real excited. Whether you just went to sleep or whether you just woke up, please tune in as we talk about this idea because it's something that, maybe it's something a little bit deeper. It's something, it's something maybe that you are, that you're not expecting. He does say, add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. And the way that he does this, he uses a series of words. One word really, but he uses different forms of this word. And the word is gnosis. And it means to know, to understand, but specifically it talks about an understanding that comes from contact. There is a contact knowledge, Peter says, that you and I are supposed to have. Now, the word gnosis is one that's a very general term. It's very general. It's this idea of contact knowledge. It's experiential knowledge. You have it because you have been in the contact of someone else. You've experienced some type of an event, and you have gained knowledge because of it. But here's what happens. As that contact knowledge grows, it becomes more and more concrete in your mind where you begin saying, yeah, I think I know, and then it becomes I know, and then it gets to a point where you say, I know. That's what it is here in 2 Peter 1 in verse 2. 
where he says, grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Now that's not gnosis, he puts epi on the front end of it. He puts epi on the front end of it as a way to specify that this is a specific knowledge that has been gained now. This is a specific knowledge that points to something. There is something that is being gained because now he says, you know there is knowledge that you have because of God and Jesus Christ. And because of this, you have peace and you have abundance. He'll use it in other place as well. 2 Peter chapter 1 verse 3. It says, his divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge. Epignosis. Again, there is a, a focused knowledge here. You start out with this, with this big, big bucket of knowledge and it has become more and more focused, more and more concrete in your thinking. He says, listen, we have everything we need for a godly life because of the knowledge. He'll use the word again, this time in verse 8, where he's going to say that, listen, if you have these different qualities... The different qualities that start in verse 5, those qualities that we're working through. He says, if you possess these things in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive. And there's the word again. It's right there, epinosis in your knowledge of Jesus Christ. Now what I want you to notice here is that knowledge provides something for you. There is a reason that Peter says, listen, you need to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness I want you to gain this contact knowledge. Because knowledge provides grace and peace, knowledge provides life and goodness, and it is the key to effectiveness and productivity. He says, if you have this in your life, if you have this knowledge, then you're going to have grace, and you're going to find peace. If you have this knowledge, then there is going to be a godliness about you. If you have this knowledge, you are not going to be ineffective. You are not going to be idle because there's going to be a productivity. And so as disciples, we hear this and we say, all right, we need knowledge. We need some contact knowledge. We need to experience something that by experiencing it, we are going to gain grace and we're going to get peace and we're going to get life and godliness. All these things are coming. I want this kind of knowledge. I want this. And so the question then is, what do we need to know? What do we need to know? And the answer that we just saw in those verses is simple. Christ. Christ. Three times, Peter specifies the object of our knowledge. He says, we need to have knowledge of God and of Jesus our Lord. Knowledge of him, knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's how he words it there in verses 2, 3, and 8. It's personal. We're to know not something, but someone. And a lot of times you hear it said, it's not what you know, it's who you know, Right? You try to go and get a job, you're trying to, to apply for something, some kind of scholarship, you're trying to make some kind of, of, of mark on the world, and you hear people say, listen, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and then you go through, it's like, man, I don't know enough people. I mean, have you ever felt that way? Hey, have you ever had somebody say, hey, it's not what you know, it's who you know, and you realize you don't know enough people, you don't know the right people? I mean, how do you meet those right people? Some people just know the right people, Right? And it seems like everything that they do, they know somebody there. 
They, they know somebody at this place. They know somebody at that school. They know somebody who's had this job before. And you're like, how do you know those kind of people? My grandmother used to tell me when I was growing up, she would say, now be careful how you act because there's always somebody that knows your grandmother. And you know what I found out? She was right. Yeah. I mean, it's hard for me to go places and, and talk about where I come from. And, and people are like, oh, I think I might know somebody from there. And, and people know my grandmother. Sometimes people just know the right people. And what Peter wants to get across to the disciples, it's like, listen, it's not about accumulating factual knowledge. It's about accumulating contact knowledge of Christ. It's about accumulating a knowledge where you don't say, I, yeah, I think I've heard about him, but you're able to say, no, 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 I, I know him. I know him, and I experience him, and I've talked with him, and we have, we have this relationship together. Now, we, we say this, but then we start thinking, it's like, great. Now, how am I supposed to get this type of knowledge of Jesus Christ? How am I supposed to get this? Because, I mean, Christ has, has been gone from this earth for over 2,000 years. And so you wonder, it's like, what, how am I supposed to do this? Common question that probably the people who were reading this letter for the first time wondered as well. They had heard about Jesus Christ. They had responded to the good news that came with the story of the the carpenter from Nazareth who turned itinerant preacher, who gains this following, who ends up being crucified by the Roman authorities. He's, he's despised by the Jewish elite. They've heard about this individual. They've, they've heard the stories. But how do they get the knowledge? I don't want you to leave here today thinking that this is something that is unobtainable for you. You think it's just some kind of pie in the sky. I want you to know that you can actually have contact experience with Jesus Christ. And here's the first way I think that it takes place. The first and basic source is, is Scripture. And as we talk about these different, these different ideas, I just want you to focus on the Scripture that's up here. Where you're thinking, listen, how am I going to get more and more knowledge of Jesus Christ? The first is through Scripture. It's where we meet God in Revelation. The Bible is our primary source of knowledge about the nature and the work of God. It's where we find out first about him. It's where we, we learn about his spirit. It's where we hear about the son. And with, without it, we would be kind of like those, those three proverbial blind men, each of us describing an elephant kind of based on what it is that we feel or what we see or what we think that we have experienced. But the Bible, the scriptures draw us back to something that is concrete. So we don't have to fumble our way through wondering, well, exactly what was Jesus like? Well, through scripture, you're able to discover and you're able to read, I witness accounts of individuals who were there with Jesus, who were touched by him, who listened to him, who, who shared meals with him, who slept with him, who sat around the campfire. And, and, and can you think about this? Sat around the campfire and probably told jokes with him, sat around the campfire and, and, and made fun of people who were snoring. And I mean, people who lived life with Jesus. It's kind of like a detective studying photos about a missing person so that we might be able to recognize them anywhere learning if they've grown some kind of beard, if they have lost weight or dyed their hair, becoming so deeply familiar with God's biblical portrait in order that we recognize him elsewhere. It begins first and foremost in Scripture. 
And so that's why through our studies that we do, everything that we do is drawn back to Scripture. Our Bible studies are all come from the basis of Scripture. The lessons that you hear that I, that I share are drawn from, from Scripture because we believe that it is through Scripture that we get the, the view of God that God desires for us to see, that we are able to be introduced to Jesus Christ and to see exactly who he was. Because Christ himself said, listen, if you have seen me, you have seen the Father. And that's so important. When the disciples were with Jesus, there's an account that's in your Bibles, it's in Scripture, it's in John chapter 14. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. And he says, no one comes to the Father except through me. One of his disciples said, Jesus, if you'll just show us the Father, that will be enough for us. Just show us God. And Jesus' response to him is that, he says, Philip, have I been with you such a long time? Have I been with you all this time? And yet you've never seen the Father? You're still asking me to show you the Father even though I have been with you? He's trying to make the point that, listen, if you've seen me, then you have seen God. If you've listened to me, then you have heard the very words of God. And so it is through Scripture that we begin to get this portrait of Jesus and that we're brought up into the very presence of God. A second source of this knowledge comes through worship and prayer, where we meet God in spirit and truth. God and Christ are revealed in Scripture, but they're not bound there. He's a living God. He speaks to us, moves in our midst, and surprises us with himself. The heavens cannot contain him, and the whole earth is filled with his glory. And Scripture says that God inhabits our praise. Do you know that? As we have been singing these songs to, today, that God himself lives within those songs. Why? Because where are we told to sing? We're told to sing from our heart, right? To speak to one another, psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, singing, making melody in your heart to the Lord is what Paul would tell the church in Colossae. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And as we sing those songs, because God also dwells within us as a Christian, he inhabits our praise. And so that's why we encourage individuals to be present and to, to come and to share in the worship times that we have together. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as some are in the habit of doing, but, but being together so that we might be able to encourage one another towards love and good deeds. That was, the, that was the admonition that was given to the Hebrews. And it's something that we need to remember ourselves. When we come together... We are able to experience coming to, into God's presence. And our worship is more than just some type of assembly that takes place. It is more than, than anything else that you can get outside. And I see. And the reason is because God joins with his people. That when we share and commune with one another, we are communing with God himself. We were, we were taking the bread and the cup. We are remembering the sacrifice of Jesus. And when Jesus says, do this in remembrance of me, the word remembrance there means to experience in the presence the power of a past event. When you are so drawn to the cross, you are so drawn to the sacrifice that you are right there in the presence of Jesus as you take of the communion sacrifice. Here's a third way. We gain the knowledge of God, gaining the knowledge of our Lord Jesus through creation. It's where we are able to meet God in his handiwork. The heavens proclaim the glory of God and yet the whole creation groans while waiting for God to finish what he has started. Just as you guys know a little bit about, about me, some of my habits, some of my preoccupations, some of my, some of my passions because you've spent some time with me, when you go and spend time looking at the work of God, 
when you go maybe with our um, hiking group that, that meets together, and by the way, aren't you guys like going on some backpacking trip to Fall Creek Falls, right? As you go out to the falls and you see the majesty of the creation, you can't help but being drawn and being able to see God more clearly, understanding him better. We learn about God as we spy the molecules and as we peer into the, the galaxies. David goes out and sets up his camera, pointing it to the heavens. And while he's there looking at all the beauty that is up in the firmament, other individuals come around and they begin having conversations about what David is doing and what he is looking at. And where does the conversation lead? Discussion of God. Because you cannot look into the heavens. You cannot see what God has created and not see his fingerprints. Even in the obvious brokenness of creation, the cancer that afflicts our closest friend, the hurricanes that cause individuals to flee their cities, we come to know something about God. We begin to understand that the one who is mindful of every sparrow that falls and whose redemption is complete will include us in the new heaven and the new earth and that he sees every single thing that's going on with us because he knows us. And here's the fourth thing. Fourth way I think that we gain this knowledge, it's, it's in community. It's kind of where we meet God in disguise. In community, we work out our love and knowledge of God in an earthly and tangible way, where God often hides in the least of these. Remember what Jesus said? He, he paints this picture. Uh, one of our elders, Ernie Hedgecourth, loves to call it the sheep and goat day. He paints this moment where there is this division that's taking place. And, and on one side are those individuals that, he says, when they saw Jesus, they, they, they gave water and they, they gave food. And there was visiting that took place in prison. There was clothing that was given. And on the other side are individuals who, when they had the opportunity, did nothing. And all the groups, both groups say, but Lord, when did we ever see you and do something for you? Or when did we ever see you and, and not do something for you? And Jesus said the word that's going to come on that day is that whenever you did so to the least of these, you did so for me. You want to have contact knowledge with God. You want to experience Jesus then it happens in the mess and in the mundaneness of the life that we have together. As we master the skills for handling all the many ways that things twist and turn, all the many ways in which life strikes at us and we're offered the opportunity to step into individuals' lives and to give a sack of food or to, to give a warm coat or to maybe just put our arms around someone going through a time of loss and need. And Jesus says, when you've done so to the least of these, you've also done so for me. So it's through scripture, it's through worship and prayer, it's through creation, it's through the community that we're a part of, that we are able to see God, that we're able to have this experience. And the cool thing is that the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth, and he says in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 3, that the man who loves God is known to God. Did you know that? You see, you're a disciple and you're following after Jesus and you're trying to gain more and more knowledge, more and more understanding of who he is and where he is going. And you begin to grow in your love for Jesus and the love that you have for God. And Paul says, listen, do you know that, that if you love God, God knows you? 
It's a reminder to those who wonder, is it worth the sacrifice? It's a reminder of those who wonder, is it worth going on this journey? Is it worth ordering my life in this way? Is it worth trying to follow so closely after Jesus? And the answer is yes. Because the one that you love knows you. I'm reminded of this whenever, whenever we go over to Martin Boyd, to the retirement center there, and there is a, there's a wing there at Martin Boyd that has, has those individuals living there who are dealing with the ravages of Alzheimer's. And when we go there for our Sunday service, we'll go back into that area and we will We'll sing with those individuals and we will reach out and hold their hands and, and we sit there, not only with those who live in that wing, but with, with sons and daughters, with husbands and wives who have come to, to be with their loved one. And we're there with individuals who oftentimes don't even remember their own name. They don't recognize their own family members. They don't remember that we were there the week before. But you start singing. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound. And something in their eyes began to light up. And the words began to pour forth on their lips as they began to sing these songs of praise. And the one that they love knows them even if they can't remember his name. It's a great thing to know. And it's reason to, to keep walking. It's reason to keep adding to our faith goodness and to goodness knowledge because that knowledge, the more that we're with Jesus, we can't help but fall in love with him. And we know that those who love God are known by God. And even if there comes a day in time where we no longer remember our name or no longer remember his, he knows. He knows me. And he knows you. You know, I've had this water setting up here. I learned a lot about water in school. Two parts hydrogen, one part oxygen, H2O. I learned that at 212 degrees, it'll boil. At 32 degrees Fahrenheit, it will freeze. It's all different in Celsius, that 100 and zero, and forget about all those Kelvin numbers. I mean, there's just weird stuff. I learned that it takes the shape of whatever container that you put it in. I learned that it's clear unless you put Kool-Aid in it, and then it all changes. There's a lot of stuff that I learned about water. I took tests on water, and I made 100 on those tests. In fact, I did so good with learning about, about water that I feel like, in some ways, I am a, a water connoisseur. I mean, I can tell the difference. I can tell the difference by, by, just, um, by just smelling sometimes water, if it's come out of a hose or not, or if it's come out of one of those bottles. I mean, I, I, I know things about water. And all this time, I've been here talking, and my mouth has been getting drier and drier, and I never opened it, and I, I never drank it, even though it was sitting right there. What good does it do? What good does it do for me to know all of this about water, to know all these different facts, and to have passed those tests long ago, and yet never drink it? 
What good does it do me to have this and, and know all the different trivia and yet never experience what it can do to my life? Maybe let me ask you this way. What good is it for you to know all the different facts about Jesus Christ and to have gotten all of your stars in Bible school and to be able to show all your first, trace Bible, first place Bible Bowl trophies and to be able to have memorized large passages of scripture and yet never have truly experienced him in your life? Because you don't forgive. You hold grudges. You don't have peace. You worry when you go to bed at night because of all the different things that are going on in our world and, and in our nation. You, you don't have the right direction and, and focus going on right now in your life because you're, you're chasing your own dream and not worried about what, what God's will is for your life. But you went to Bible class and you've highlighted all the verses and you've been in church all your life. But it's not what you know. It's who you know. It does you no good until you taste and see that the Lord is good. But can I take it one more step further? Can I take it a step further and, and tell you that it, it's, it goes deeper because for some of you, you see me up here with this water and it's like, oh, this is a nice little analogy and, and you're going to sip on the water now until, until you're done and that's nice. But I don't want to do that because I'm afraid you're going to leave here with the idea that all you have to do is just sip on Jesus a little bit. A little sip here, a little sip there. When you get tired, when things get rough, and you'll throw up a prayer here, and you'll open up a passage there, and, and you'll try to get closer with God during a moment of, of financial difficulty. It's not, about, it's not about just taking a sip. It's not about just, just having a little bit of knowledge and every once in a while being able just to, just to sip on it and gain whatever's there. Instead, it's being covered. It's being poured all over you. This is the knowledge that God wants us to have where we have truly experienced what it means to be in relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why Paul would say that for all of you who've been baptized into Christ, you've put on Christ. Don't you want to wear Jesus? Don't you want him to be a part of your life? Don't you want to know what it truly means to be a disciple? Then add to your faith goodness and to goodness knowledge. Let's pray together. Father, we ask that we be covered in your son. That we would come to a knowledge of him that would go beyond facts that would be, would be able to experience him through scripture, through the nature that we see around us, through the worship that we bring, and through the community that we are in. And we don't want just little sips. We don't want just a little bit of Jesus now and, and a little bit of Jesus then. We want, we want our knowledge to get so specific that we have peace and grace that we have life and godliness and that we are effective and productive in the life that we live. So Lord, I pray that we would continue to dig into your word. I pray that we would con continue to experience you as we worship. I pray that we would take every advantage that we can 
to see what you've done in our nature and nature that's around us. And I want us to be able to do these things, Lord, so that we can, we can move beyond where we are now. Move beyond the knowledge that we have currently of Jesus so that it can go from that gnosis to epinosis. Where we can't just say, yeah, I know about him. But Father, we want to say, yes, we know him. And by knowing him, Father, may we live like him. It's through Jesus that we pray. Amen. Derek, I know that you've chosen a song for us. I want you to come and lead that. And while we sing together, maybe you need to come. I promise I won't throw any water on you. But if you'd like to be baptized into Christ, hey, we can do the, um, we can do the full tub up here. We got the water ready for anybody that would like to be baptized into Christ this morning. And we'll celebrate with you as your sins are washed away, as you give yourself over to Christ. Or maybe you need to come say, you know what, I've got a lot of knowledge of Jesus, but it's not showing up in my life. I have the gnosis, but I want the epinosis, and I need the peace and the grace. I want the life. I want the effectiveness and the productivity. Don't be ashamed. Come and say, I want to know Jesus more as we stand and as we sing.